Amen. Thank you, sister. Appreciate that. The older we get, we realize there's uh, more and more on the other side than there used to be. And uh, you understand, I was thinking this week, I don't had a situation happen I needed some some counsel on and uh, it was interesting I was flipping through memories on Facebook I don't even know if I was flipping through or if it just popped up and uh, there was a memory there of, uh, of me and Brother Fry and uh, and I thought you know I don't know that um I don't know if there's anybody I miss more than him. And uh, I miss the the lunches we had, the, the fellowship he and I had, the impact he had on my life. And uh, then I think of family members and friends that have gone on. And heaven's looking sweeter. We're getting closer. And I'm thankful, appreciate the good song this morning, just kind of reminded me of that this morning, and I'm glad I know him as my Savior. Amen. Turn to Luke 22 with me if you would, Luke 22, and uh, want to begin reading in verse number 7, and this will be a familiar passage. I'll ask you this, if you see the title of the message, how many, how many know of the painting called The Last Supper? If you don't, where have you been? Right, it's probably one of the most famous paintings uh, that uh, has been made, and Da Vinci tried to portray the scene of this portion of the Gospel of Luke in that painting. And so, in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke 22, verse number seven, uh, we see that very thing. The Bible said, "Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover uh, must be killed." Notice verse eight. The Bible said he sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and prepare." us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where will thou that we prepare? Now you and I look and say, Well, they should have just done what the Lord told them, right? But they said, where, where do we do this? And here's what he said to them. He said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entered in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished uh, there, make, uh, there make ready. And I thought verse 12 is interesting. The Lord told him, said, look, you go here and this guy's going to come with a pitcher of water. Now, I don't know about you. That's to me pretty impressive. The Lord's telling him, said, listen, I've already got all this planned out. And you go there, this guy's going to, and you say, uh, he's going to take you up to this upper room. And the Bible said that the, that large upper room furnished. What was it furnished with? Exactly what God needed. The preparations already made. Peter and John really didn't have to do anything. The Lord already made the preparation. The Bible said they went and found as he said unto them. God's never lied, right? If he says it in his word, it has. he has obligated himself by his word. So just like he said would happen... Has happened. 
And they went and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Verse 21, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of God goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So verse 23, the Bible said they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to every heart. I want to preach uh, uh, just, just as you've written it. And I pray God that lives would be changed because of your word today. There's one here that doesn't know you Savior. Show them the need of salvation. If there's one not in sweet fellowship with you, I pray God deal with that heart as well. And many are going through trials and tribulations, I'm sure, and have great burdens. But I pray even today that you'd lift those. Thank you for being good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I mentioned it. One of the most well-known paintings in history is Da Vinci's portrait of the Last Supper. And his shows Jesus' communion with his friend or with his friends. And so... What was his purpose in this sweet time of communion with those who were closest to him? He didn't invite everybody. He invited those in the inner circle to be with him in this upper room. And so uh, as we look at this scripture and you say, well, preacher, I'm not really not sure what this has to do with me. I promise you this, they are, they are getting ready to go through one of the most traumatic experiences of their life. Not only is the, their hope crucified, Right, You think about that. They're resting all of their hope on Jesus Christ and they still do not understand the plan of salvation. They still in their mind think Jesus is going to come and set everything in order and now he takes them in this upper room for a final supper, a final time of communion with them before he goes to the cross and their world is turned upside down. And so what I'm saying is before this ever happens, they have this time of communion with God. Now, may I say today that I promise you if you haven't gone through trials or you're not in trials now, you will. If you're not in a storm or just got out of a storm, I promise you you're getting ready to get into a storm. Life is full of storms. And so if you wait until you're in the storm before you start calling out and communing with the Lord, I promise you this, it won't be too late, but it sure will seem like it. And so there must be some preparation before those times come. And that's what this is all about. He's going to the cross. They're getting ready to have their world turned upside down. Everything they thought would happen. They, they take him. They hang him on a cross. They t- tear him down. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And at some point in time, they have to come to the realization that what they thought would take place will not take place the way they think it. You ever been there? I've got a plan. Here's how it's going to happen. And now everything in that plan is turned upside down. That's what they're getting ready to go through. 
They didn't understand the plan of God. And how many times in our life do we just not understand God's plan? We think His plan is always our plan. And our plan is only His plan when we follow Him and understand God's will for our life. So here in this scripture, I want to give you three things I think we can learn from the Last Supper. Now I know we're Baptists, I know it's lunchtime, and I probably should not have mentioned supper or eating until after we're done preaching, right? But just hang with me and we'll get through this. So notice first of all in this scripture the preparation that was made. The preparation, verse 7, the Bible said, and uh, then came the day of unleavened bread, and when the Passover, uh, the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John. Now, it's interesting to me, he didn't send uh, uh, Doubting Thomas, he didn't send the others. He took those, if you know that here you have John, and you have Peter, and he is two of the three that it seemed like every time some miraculous supernatural experience took place with the Lord Jesus Christ, they were involved with it. And so now he says, I've got you one more thing to do. I want you to go and prepare uh, us the Passover that we may eat. Now may I say this, that you'll never get to that time of communion. You'll never really see what God wants to do in your life until you are close to him. See, some of you, are, you're playing on the fringe. You want to do your own thing and have your own life and do it your own way. And then when you want the Lord, you go to him and say, okay, now I want you. That's not the way it happens. See, that two of the three that were closest intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ, he trusted, do you get that? He trusted with a great, uh, with a great task. Now I hear all the time, he says, I want to do something for God. God can't trust you to do anything great for him until, he know, until you know him. And so he took these two and he said, go and prepare. And they said, where well thou that we prepare? Now you look at it and say, well, uh, I, here's, here's what I'm thinking, Brother Johnny. Now we, in our mind we're thinking, well, they ought not question the Lord. Well, maybe. See, there's a difference when we have questions than questioning. If we ask the Lord for understanding so we can accomplish his will, that's different than questioning God to whether or not God knows what he's doing. It doesn't seem to me, Brother Bart, like they were saying, Lord, this doesn't make sense to us. They just said, hey, where do you want us to do this at? You ever thought about that? If you just, if you, they're not saying, God, we're, we don't get what you're doing. They just said, where do you want us to do it at? And so they, they said, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entered. So notice in the preparation First of all, there had to be compliance. See, you're, you're, what, what do you mean by compliance? I know that's an ugly word in the day we live. I, I know we're not to be conformist. I find it interesting that in our attempt to not be a conformist, we're conformist. The Bible said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in this arrogant idea that we're nonconformist and we're going to do our own thing and live our own life and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'm autonomous, we're actually conforming to the world. Right. And so here this compliance is that the Lord is telling them what to do and they must do it to experience true fellowship and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is Jesus gives Peter and John instruction on preparation 
for this communion and the Lord has already made the preparation. So, so what you have in your Bible is God's Word. He's already prepared uh, everything and He is telling us what He's already prepared. Listen, nothing's taking God by surprise. Nothing in world events, God's saying, well, I didn't see that happening, right? And, and nothing in your life that happens, God's saying, well, you know what? Now, Brother Jimmy, I didn't see that one coming. See, nothing's ever occurred to him. He's eternal. He's not, uh, yes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you look and you come around the corner and something startles you and you have a trial in your life going, I didn't see that one coming. He already knew it was there. That's why it's important to stay in sweet communion and fellowship with him because he already knows. And so now their preparation was determined by their compliance to his word. Let me say something. I've said it numerous times. I'll say it again. Some of you are depending on your feelings and your emotions and your what you think and what you feel. And you, you say, well, you know what? I'm listening for that still small voice. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God will never go against the Word of God. Can I say it again? The Holy Spirit of God will never go against the Word of God. Well, how can you say that so dogmatically, preacher? Because this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what you're saying is the Holy Spirit will contradict himself in contradicting the Word of God. He'll never do that. See, the Bible is not the Word of God, right, a apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is not God and Jesus is not God, but they're the same person. And so what you're saying by saying, I trust the Holy Spirit more than the Word of God is I only trust part of who God is, but not the part I want to trust. See, God's not going to contradict His Word. So how are you going to know the Spirit of God if you don't know the Word of God? How are you going to know how to comply with what God wants when you don't know what He says? Well, preacher, but I feel like, I don't care what you feel like. God doesn't, God's not interested in your, your opinion of your feelings about, He's telling you this is what He said. God didn't call the Baptists and didn't call preachers when He wrote the Bible and said, what do you guys think about it? Well, I interpret it different. You, I don't, it doesn't matter how you interpret right. See, God's not interested in your interpretation. He's interested in what he meant when he wrote it. And so it's up to us to find out the mind of God. And the only way you'll know the mind of God is to get in the word of God because in the word of God, he tells us who he is. Well, I think God is this. doesn't matter what you think who God is. What matters is what he reveals to us about himself in the word of God. And that's how you get to know God. Amen. And you're never going to be able to comply with what God wants by saying, well, I think, I, I feel. No, he tells you what he wants in his word, Brother Charles. That's it. It's not hard. It's not, it's not complex. It's just God said it, I'm going to do it. Now, let me say this. The reason many Christians' lives are such a mess is because they just won't do the simplicity of the word of God. God's simple. Do this, don't do that. We're going, yeah, but that's, that's, that was way, written way back then. Now we're living in 2023. Man doesn't change. We're no different than the Old Testament folks. We're no different than Adam and Eve. You say, no, I'm different. I would never have eaten the fruit off of that tree. Okay. I mean, God's telling us in his word, don't do this. You're going, well, I think today's different, right? 
So you're never going to get in communion with God until you comply with the Word of God. See, they couldn't go to the upper room. They couldn't just pick what upper room they wanted to go to. They couldn't decide what city they wanted to go to. They had to know what the Lord said. We can't expect communion with the Lord unless we're compliant with His Word. Now, I know, I know the day we live, but Jake, the day we live... There's more emphasis put on everything but the Word of God. Right? We got to have church, man. What, what do we got? Well, you got to have 75 different youth activities. I'm not against youth activities. Got to have 55 minutes worth of singing and a 10 minute sermonette for Christianettes. And Christians are anemic. We don't know why. Because we got to have the Word of God. So, compliance. Then there's the chamber. Notice what he said. The Bible said, uh, he shall show you, in verse 12, a large upper room furnished there make ready. That's interesting to me. The chamber, the place where they would communion with the Lord, has already been prepared. And he invited them into the place he was going to be. You with me yet? See, the, the reason you're able to approach God is because He invites you in. And He invites you in on the merit of the blood of Jesus Christ that we sang all those songs about today. Not because you're a good person, not because you're a nice person, not because your good outweighs your bad, not because you got dunked in a pool somewhere, not because you said a little shallow prayer that meant nothing to you. You're invited in because you have been put in the family of God because you've accepted what Jesus did on Calvary. You can't come to God. Well, I'll just come to Him any way I want to. No, you won't. See, you can't approach the king uh, any way you want to. You have to be invited in. And so if an earthly king, you have to be invited in. May I say the king of kings and lord of lords, you're not just going to go any old time. You've got to be invited, and we're invited because we know the son. Amen. I'm thankful that I, he doesn't look at me and say, well, you know, he's, his good outweighs his bad because I promise you this. The Bible said there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good. So I'm not going to him saying, look how good I am. I'm humbly going to him and saying, listen, and because I've accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ, now I'm pleading that I may come in and he said, come. See, it is the height of our walk with God. Singing a song, listen, I love singing. Singing a song is not the height of our walk with God. Brother Jimmy, preaching is not our height and our walk with God. Being able to quote scripture, listen, being involved in ministry is not the height of our walk with God. The height of your walk with God is spending time with Him in the chamber, the communion that you're going to need, I promise. Wonder if we put more emphasis on spending time with God in the prayer closet. We're going out Saturday knocking on doors. Man, every one of you ought to be here for that. Oh, I just can't do it. Wonder if you could if you prayed about it. Boy, I sure would like to see the church grow. What are you doing about it? I mean, at least we can do is pray. I sure would like to see souls saved every service. Well, how, how much are you praying about it? Man, I sure want to be found faithful to God. You know what? I promise you in this flesh you never will. 
You need God's strength. I sure would like to be able to get through this next trial, this next storm, and honor the, the Lord Jesus Christ. You better spend time in the chamber. The chamber's already been prepared. You just have to be compliant to be able to go into the chamber. We can't expect sweet communion with the Lord unless we're compliant to the Word of God. Can't do it. You can't, you can't, listen to me. You can't be in sin and expect fellowship. Now, I ain't talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about when you are living in sin, Christian friend. Listen, I understand where, the day we live in, the grace of God. I understand all the perversion of it. Right? God's riches at Christ's expense. I get that. But you're not going to live your life in sin doing whatever you want to, shacking up, living whatever you want to, partying it up, and then go to God and say, Okay, Lord, now I'm saved because I said a prayer when I was eight years old. And I believe in once saved, always saved. And so therefore, since I prayed my little prayer, you got to let me in. I promise you this. If my wife has cleaned the house and my girls have cleaned our house, and I mean they've mopped the floor and, and they've, they've done all that stuff and it's spotless and you come dragging up in there and you slam the door open the door and you come dragging in there with mud all over your shoes I won't have to throw you out right Miss Ellen might, I might even let the girls throw you out I'll let the dog shake right but that's how we try to approach God isn't it You know what, fellas? Now, I'm not being graphic. Ladies, if your husband came home one night, 11 o'clock, about half drunk, had the smell of another woman on him, on. you wouldn't say, honey, come on. Yeah. Right? Come on. You'd bust him in the head with a cast iron skillet and go find whoever it was and bust her too. And I'd probably help you. But listen to what I'm saying. Brother Bart, that's how we approach God. We got the smell of the world on us. We've got the stench of this world on us. And we go to God and say, listen, and now listen, I got saved when I was eight and I believe in that eternal security. And so therefore, come on, I am who I am. See, that's what needs to be preached in our churches. Not, not this damnable heresy of living the way you want to. You get saved. I, I know, I, listen, I know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But I think what Christians need is Ephesians 2, 10. Thank God for 2, 8, 9. But don't forget about 2, 10. They go together, by the way. When you take things out of context, you say, For by grace are we saved through faith. Yep, what about verse 10? We are his workmanship created unto good works. There's something that takes place when you get saved, born again. I'm talking about really born again. The Spirit of God comes, lives inside of you. Doesn't mean you won't sin, but it sure will disgust you like it disgusts God. I, am I on there? See, there's a communion that takes place after the chamber is ready. And that's what we're in need of today, the, the communion. Jesus said this, he said, uh, he shall show you a large upper room first. 
And they went and found, as he had said in verse 13, said unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. And verse 14, when the hour was come, he sat down and twelve apostles with him. So, see, you have to have the compliance to the word of God, and the chamber has to be ready to have communion. And did you notice here, the Bible said, uh, verse 15, and he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He desires it more than you do. That's what he was saying. They didn't, they didn't have a clue what was going on. Right? They just looked at Jesus going, he's, he's getting ready to fix everything. Isn't that how we are sometimes? Now, I don't care how you do it, God, but you just you fix that. And we don't want to. Here's our prayer time, Brother Gary. God, Heavenly Father, now you said, and here's all my list. You said you'd fix this. Here's my list. Fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. Right? Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't com- That's not communing with God. That's like going to Lowe's. And you got your shopping list in there and you say, you see one of them, one of them dudes with the apron on and you hand it to him and say, go, go get that stuff for me. Right? I'll be, at, I'll be at the front desk. Go get my order. When you're done, bring it up there. Right? That's how we treat God. Here's my order. I'm going to go here and sit down. And when you get done with fixing all my problems, by the way, that I've made the mess in, when, it, when you're done, let me know and we'll be good. Brother Johnny, I might need you to run security for me. After. But, but here's how we do it. We say all that to him while over here on this side we're complaining on our social media outlets about all the bad stuff going on in our life. See, we want the sympathy of man over here, but then over here we're telling God, fix my stuff for me. And then if he does fix it, guess what? We don't go back over here to the sympathy seekers and say, now God fix this. Am I? We get quieter, don't we? Right? See, we don't understand communion. We want to hurriedly get through our prayer list and get done with it so we can move on to TikTok and everything else. And then we don't understand why we have no walk with God. God's less interested in your efforts than he is your time with him. Because if you spend time with him, he can multiply the effort better than you can. So he's saying, I I need compliance to my word. I've got the chamber set up. What he desires most is you. Just you. Right? Not not our pride, not our arrogance, not our, you ready for this? Now, Lord, you know, I always find that interesting. Like we're telling God, now you know, I'm a soul winner. You know I read my Bible every day, Lord. And you know I've never done this, this, and this, like brother so-and-so or sister. You know all that. He does know all that, so you don't have to repeat it to him. 
So, Lord, since I am this good person, here's why you should give me what I ask for. That's how we pray. And so the communion is just, you know what, I just want to be around you, Lord. I just want to be around you. Because he wants to be around us. So the preparation, number two is the picture in verse 18 to 20. The Bible said, For us saying to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now notice in this picture, what is he picturing? He is picturing the death he's getting ready to die. He's, he's painting a picture of Calvary for them. When we take communion, what are we doing? We're not literally drinking the blood of Christ and eating the body. We're remembering the picture of Calvary. What he's doing is showing them the picture uh, uh, before time. We're looking back on it. They're looking ahead at it. And so what he's doing in, in that picture is he's doing this. He's first of all showing his supply. Notice what he said. He took the bread, gave thanks, and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. They didn't have a clue what was going on. I mean, think about it. He's saying, Here's some bread. This is my body. And they're probably looking at each other going, What is he talking about here? He's, he's showing them a picture of Calvary, that he is getting ready to go to Calvary and die on the cross and shed his blood and lay his body out for the sins of mankind. And, he, and even today as, as we're sitting here on the side of this highway, we need to understand that your salvation is free to you, but it is costly. That every sin of every person in here, every sin of every person in the world, every sin of every person who's ever been in the world was placed on Jesus Christ that day because the Bible said for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody must die for your sins and either you can accept what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and have it completely paid for or you can pay for your sin for the rest of eternity but there will be payment made. So he had time and he had supply for all of them. Isn't it good to know when you go to the Lord in prayer that he's not saying, Now listen, I can, I can pencil you in from 1 to one fifteen this afternoon. Right? I just, I don't have time right now because I have another appointment at 12. One of, one of, the, one of the big givers, I got I to spend 30 minutes with him. But you, you get 10 minutes. That's not how he does. He says, oh, Brother Jimmy, you need me? I'm available right now. Brother Henry, you need me? I'm available right now. Miss Angie, you need, I, I, I got time for you. He never runs out of time and never runs out of supply. Amen. Listen, whatever you need, he's got it for you, praise God. And so he divides it, he said, divide it among yourselves. Here it is, here's the bread, you get some, you get some, you get some, you get some. It'll never run out, hallelujah. And so he had time and supply for all of them. God has and is endless supply for each one of us. See, we look at God's blessing. Well, you know, God gave me food and God gave me uh, uh, the rent money this and he, and, he, and he took care of my health. Listen to me. Stop looking at God's blessing as stuff. Jesus is the blessing. 
If he never gave you all that stuff, if he ne never, you know, never laid it. Miss Janine, see her back there, and uh, I went by and seen Brother Earl this week. Man, it's amazing what God's doing there. But even if God never intervened there, guess what? He's still everything we need. If God doesn't put you a check in the mail this week, he's still everything you need. Amen. See, he is the supply. The bread that he provided was a picture of him. He's all you need, friend. Some of you need to get that. Well, I need this. No, he's all you need. There, there comes times in your life when you have nothing or no one else and he's all you need. And if you've not been there, you probably will get there sometime. So he's laying the supply out. Aren't you glad this morning? In a church this size, that whatever you need, he's the supply. And he didn't say, I can only do it at that church. He's saying, I can do it at every church. I can do it with every believer. I can do it with that shut-in at home that can't get to church. Whatever you need, he's the supply. Then notice this, his sacrifice. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of Calvary. So the Old Testament covenant would be satisfied. The New Testament covenant would be paid for. The Old Testament, there had to be something die every year. That lamb would be sacrificed every year as a covering for sin. It never took sin away. So every year, another sacrifice. It was a picture of what Jesus would do at Calvary. The sacrificial lamb had to be perfect and spotless, and they had to do it all a certain way. And they said, next year, we got to do the same thing because we're sinners. But listen to me. That day at Calvary, Jesus died one time, one time, one time for every, and he took care of it all for all eternity. We don't need another Calvary. We don't need another sacrifice. God said, I am satisfied. And this morning, as we look at that, Jesus will once and for all satisfy God's requirement of sin, and he'll pay with his own body and his own blood, and that's what this is a picture of. And then his sufficiency. The Bible says he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them. He didn't just give it to Peter and John. He gave it to all of them. He's sufficient. A perfect God made a perfect sacrifice and it's permanent. It's finished. He is the bread of life. He is the vine. He satisfies man. He satisfies God. <laughs> On this side, God's saying, I have to have the perfect sacrifice without spot, without blemish. Jesus, by the way, if your Bible does not say that he was born of a virgin, I'd probably throw it in the garbage can. See, because if he was, not, if he, if he was born of a young woman or a young maiden, that's no miracle. You don't believe that? Look at our society today. But the Bible said in Isaiah that he would be born of a virgin. A woman that's never known a man and she conceives of the Holy Ghost and now you have a perfect, uh, perfect lamb. Well, how is it perfect? Well, again, we've said this many times. You're a sinner today because you are a part of the race of Adam. Adam passed his DNA on to his children, and they passed it on to their children. Adam sinned in the garden, and therefore all of us are descendants of Adam. This, this, in essence, today is some type of family reunion we're having today in this church. I don't know if we really want to claim each other, but that's what it is, right? And so we're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
Well, I, don't judge me, preacher. I didn't judge you. The Bible said for all. Now let me ask you this. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get do some intellectual exercises here. Is there anyone in here that is not part of all mankind? Is there any aliens in here? Right? Anybody? I know some Baptists act like aliens sometimes, but I'm saying, no, really, are we? No, we're all part of this human race. Different nationalities, different language, different skin tints, all that, right? We're all, but we're all we're family. That's right. Amen. So guess what? Trace your lineage back. It all goes back to Adam. You're a sinner. So the wage of sin is death. The Old Testament, they had to kill a lamb. They examined the lamb. See if there was a spot, blemish on it, and they'd take that lamb. They'd say, this is good enough. We don't see spot, blemish. They'd kill that lamb. The blood was shed, and it, it was a representative, right? It took the place. It was a substitutionary death for, for man, right? Well, every year they do that. Then they get to, they get to Jesus, right? Born of a virgin. That means... He does not have the lineage of Joseph, which means he is without sin, right? So then 33 and a half years, all through the Old Testament, you had God's law. God's law was to punish those who could not keep it, right? You had the principles and you had the punishment. Thou shalt not kill. If you killed, here's the punishment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you commit adultery, here's the punishment. Right? right? right. Probably wouldn't hurt to have some of that today, right? Here's the principle, here's the punishment. But now we come all the way up to Jesus. Nobody had ever been able to keep the law. Jesus comes, everything, never said a, a, a cross word, right. never sinned. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He came to prove it could be done. So then he goes he goes to Jerusalem before Calvary. They bring him up. They examine him. Accusations made. This statement was made. I find no fault in him. Right? You with me? They said, we don't care. We'll not have this man rule over us. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. So he died in your place. The perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God died for you and died as you. So that you and I today, by simply placing our trust, I ain't talking about a prayer. I'm saying, are you trusting him? As your Savior today, that's sufficiency. Yeah, but I need to. I need to do something else. I need to get baptized. Mm -mm, that's not what he said. I, I need to be a good person. You should be a good person, but you're not going to heaven because you're a good person and 
because Jesus died. You're going because Jesus died and you accepted that as the payment of sin. Payment of sin. You with me? Has to be the sufficiency. You're not sufficient, neither am I. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Now, God, here's what I did. I went to church about eight times in my whole life when I didn't want to, right? And I never said bad words, and I never drank alcohol, and I never did these things. And I'm going to say, Okay, God. And I gave to the poor. And he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. What he did at Calvary was sufficient. He satisfied God's requirements. But he also satisfies man. That's why he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Remember, the, remember, the, remember, those, uh, remember those Jews came to him and said, he's trying to explain that to him and said, you're not getting it, man. God sent us bread from heaven. Our fathers, Brother Charles, he sent our father. He said, I am the bread of heaven. I'd like to be in there, wouldn't you? I'd like to see Jesus. I, I think sometimes like, you, uh-uh, I'm the bread of heaven. Yeah, but you're not getting it. We're, we're the seed of Abraham. Well, Abraham was talking about me, right? And even today, 2,000 years later, we'll start preaching the Bible. Yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand God like we have an understanding. Let me, let me time out. You ready? You don't have an understanding with God. Well, I know what the Bible said, but we, I, I'll talk to people, Brother Sean, and say, have you ever accepted Christ your Savior? Well, no, but God and I have an understanding. Here's your understanding. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. There's no other way. You don't negotiate, bargain, have your own way to get to heaven. It's either Jesus or nothing this morning. And he's sufficient. He's, he's going to, you know what, Brother Dennis, since I've gotten saved, he's been enough. Man, I ain't, I ain't been looking for something else. Well, I need, to, I need to try out the Muslim religion. I don't need that. I need to try out being a Jehovah's Witness. No, I don't need that. Praise God. When I got born again, I'm talking about really born again, he was enough. Amen. Now, before I got saved, and I was a kid and said my little prayer, right? Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be, be a Christian. I don't want to go to hell. It was never real. He wasn't enough. Once I really got him, yes, sir. buddy. I'm not going. I'm not going back to load a bar, man. I ain't eating. I ain't eating off the trash can lids no more. Hallelujah! You go ahead if you want to, but I've got. I've had my feet underneath the king's table, and it's good. Then number three, and I'm quickly go through this. Verse twenty-one. Look, I want you to notice. And so all this, you think, man, here it is. They get there. the The room is prepared. The table spread. Jesus gives them all this. You think all twelve of them be going. I'm with him, right? Well, verse 21 said, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Look at that and say, Well, I don't see how in the world, see how in the world somebody could turn the back on Jesus. In this scripture, verse 21, he gives them a tr- penetrating look. I mean, they're enjoying the fellowship. and he find, The mood changes, doesn't it? He looks and says, one of y'all is going to betray me. See, here's the thing. This morning, he knows who you are. He knows who I am. 
right? And so this morning, he sees through our facade. We're good. Let's, we're good actors. Brother RJ, we, we Christians are good actors. And here's Judas. He looked like the disciples. He pretty much acted like the disciples. He even had some pretty good thoughts. Remember, he's like, you know, you could have taken that oil you just poured on him and sold it and given that to the poor. We, he's pretty much saying we need to be good stewards. You know, he really wasn't. He was a thief. But see, Jesus, he sees through our facade this morning. Judas was among his disciples that would betray him. The other disciples would deny him. He knows who we really are. You say, I'd never betray him. Let me give you one of these. And then he knows our feebleness. He says, Woe. Woe. We're weak. We fail him time and time again. Watch this. He knows. Johnny, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that Peter will deny him. He knows that all of the disciples are going to leave him. Now, buddy, I want to tell you something. You mean to tell me that in a congregation this size, you don't fall into one of those three categories? Betrayal, denial, retreating. Because that's what they did. Judas just said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to sell him out. I'm going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Can I ask you something? Listen, pay attention. I know we're about done, but some of you are like, well, I'll put my Bible up. I'm going to be done now. No, we, I, we'll be done with say Amen. You sit here and say, I, I'd never betray him. Every day. Right? You say, I'd never deny him. Every day. You say, I'd never flee from him. Really? He knows who we are. He knows... How feeble we are. He knows. He knew, he knew Judas was going to betray him. He still ate with him. He still invited him in. He knew Peter was going to say three times. And I don't know him. Mm-mm. How many times he invited you in? Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. There's an invitation. How many times the Holy Spirit sitting in the service just like this says, come on. How many times have you felt the urgency to pray and you said, not right now. How many times he said, listen, won't you go over and give this guy your testimony. Go hand him a track. And you're like, I can't do that. You know what that is? Betrayal. Yet he still wants to commune with us. 
You're going to need him. So will I. Amen. We need each other, Miss Vonnie, but we need him even more than we need each other. So wherever you are this morning, betrayal, denial, flee, or you say, I just don't know him as my Savior. Aren't you glad he'll, he'll take you back? But you got to come. See, they had to come to the upper room to commune. He didn't, he didn't drag them in, right. right? Peter and John, he said, go. They could say, well, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. But they would not have been able to commune with him. Now, he's, he's speaking to you this morning saying, listen, come. You just have to obey. Whatever your need, obey. Let's stand together all over the auditorium. Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's bow our heads. Eyes are closed. Thank you for being here. No one's looking around. I want to ask you this. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Now, you need to really examine that. Because if you're wrong, there's no second chance. This morning, if you don't know for sure where you'd spend eternity, no one's looking around. Nobody's going to come to you. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you slip your hand up say, Pastor, I'm not 100% sure. Will you pray for me this morning? Would you do that? Is there one? Maybe this morning many are on the altar. You need to come and say, Lord, I've not been what I need to be. And I realize that. And I want to fix things this morning. This, it's not God's fault. He's not the one that left. We're the ones who left. If you need to come, you come. Father, I want to fix some things this morning. I, I want to confess where I failed you. I want to confess where I betrayed you. I want to be where I need to be. Maybe you've got a loved one you need to pray for. Whatever your need. If you don't know where you'd spend eternity, please come. Please come. It's too important to get it wrong. Too important to get it wrong. Father, thank you for the message and thank you for the sweet spirit of God. I pray for that one that may be here that doesn't know you, Savior, before they leave here. Please, Father, speak to their heart that they get things right with you. God, you've been real good to us, long-suffering. Just pray. I ask you, Father, deal with hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.